listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. I'm reminded as we approach Halloween uh, that in the Buddhist tradition, or I guess we could call it Buddhist psychology, we we can often look at these these beautiful uh, we call them tankas or uh, uh, these circles essentially that are divided up into six regions, and the six regions each have a different uh, uh, area that correspond to a characteristic or personality or a place of gravitational pull where we tend to where we tend to go. And in, during Halloween, I'm always reminded of this one particular region called uh, it's the realm of the hungry ghost, and the. Uh, for those of you that are interested, there are some others. There's the the uh, the God realm, the human realm, the warrior realm, the animal realm, then the realm of hungry ghost, and the realm of something else that I can't remember. But you're just going to have to bear with me. Hopefully, you'll still get your money's worth, even though I can't remember the other one. Uh, but the hungry ghost, I, I just think, is so fascinating because each of us, some more than others, have this aspect to our being. The hungry ghost has a throat or neck that's so narrow it can't swallow anything. But it's got this big mouth. It's just dying for just hungry, 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 hungry. And it's never satisfied. In fact, it's always starving. The bellies, you'll see them, are oftentimes very distended and so forth. And I think this is such an affliction for Westerners especially, but people in general, to always feel like they're coming at life from a position of lack. Like there's something that's missing. There's always something that's missing. And indeed, there is always something that will be missing from the egoic perspective. Put another way, from the contracted perspective. That in us which, which feels like it's in here and everything else is out there. Okay? That in us which feels like, I guess it lives kind of behind, sometimes I say behind our face. We feel like we live behind our face, that there is some self or being that's behind our face and it's us. It's the I, it's the me. It's also the possessor, it's the it's the thing that says mine, or this is, this is my car. This is my uh, life. This is my sangha, whatever it happens to be, okay? That thing that says my, or mine, is always in turmoil and always in a position of th being, it's feeling threatened continually, continually feeling threatened. And the hungry ghost is a great way to kind of uh,
we can watch ourselves go into the hungry ghost mode, I guess I would say. You know, when we just feel like, oh, if only I had X or Y or Z. When we're in that, if only, if just, mm. <clears throat> I'm reminded also of uh, uh, this particular, this particular quality uh, was articulated so beautifully in the book Fight Club, or the film Fight Club. I don't know if you ever, if you ever saw it or heard of it, but there's this point where this guy, you know, he was feeling almost complete. He had almost all the things he needed. When in fact, we'll never win that race. All the things that we're given, all the experiences that we could possibly have, be they material or spiritual, aren't going to really net us that much if we're not clear on how to be at peace with what is. No matter how much we're given, no matter how much comes our way, we're not going to feel complete unless we're at peace with what's actually in front of us. And this is really important because after all, we are simply a bag of skin and bones that's going to leave. It's very, very temporal. It's temporary. So every time you see uh, a skeleton uh, or a, a ghostly face during this particular season, let it remind you of <laughs> how A, it's all temporary, and B, we don't have to be hungry ghosts. That doesn't have to be our center of gravity as we live. Recognizing what is complete, recognizing what is actually whole in us and outside of us, you know, where we merge with things, recognizing that and being open to it, being open to that recognition really is a useful way of going about life. And it's something any of us can do, no matter what our circumstance, despite, I mean, the tragedy is going to be there. The hurricanes will blow, no doubt. But even in the midst of the hurricane, there is stuff we can recognize as, we can recognize gratitude even in the midst of it. It becomes very difficult sometimes, because the hurricane is what really threatens us. As we step into the eye of the hurricane, as opposed to you know, being out in the, in the winds and the, the real turmoil, things become quite peaceful, no matter what's going on. Getting into that eye can be very difficult. As you know, the, the most intense winds are right around the eye of the hurricane. They call it the, I believe it's called the wall, hurricane wall. It's that, the very, uh, uh, the boundary of that circle where there is still and calm right on the outside of it, it can become the most intense. And this is very much like spiritual practice. Getting to that place of resonant calm in the face of it all. We oftentimes have to go through this wall. And uh, it's scary. Most people turn back. Most people turn back. Which is why I always kind of blather on about uh, uh, 
this, this, this practice really isn't for the faint of heart. So if we're on the road to direct realization, we want it in this lifetime. We just have to be fearless. We just have to be fearless. Recognize that countless thousands have gone before us and that we can do it too. There is nothing but nothing preventing us from actually going through this wall into this central point of total calm, the single-pointedness of total calm. Nothing preventing us from doing that except our ego's relationship with its own sense of self. So if we can watch for this, if we can watch for our ego's relationship with its own sense of being, its own sense of my, its own hungry ghostedness. <laughs> Brand new word, coined here. Its own sense of, being, of coming from a position of lack. If we can be really intimate with that, the fearlessness in us just grows. The hungry ghost in us begins to diminish because it becomes satisfied. God forbid. Hungry ghost does not want to be satisfied because if the hungry ghost is ever satisfied, it's no longer what? It's no longer a hungry ghost, right? So in our meditation tonight, just as a kind of a quick review, just a quick review, what we'll do is in our sitting, if we can, just allow ourselves to feel complete. Allow it. And if there's something that keeps kind of jumping in and saying, yes, but, wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. If there's something in us that keeps kind of chirping like that, just pat it on the head. Oh, there you are. There you are, hungry ghost. How are you? Happy Halloween. <coughs> Who says stillness can't be fun? <laughs> so very much of this work is about fear. Really, I mean, if you really cut to the chase, meditative work is really about facing fear. And we have this amazing capacity to generate continually more and more and more and more fear. And more fear, exactly. We can even add a little bit more of that fear, if you wish. Um, did I mention fear? <laughs> All of this stuff 
that we do as beings tends to be predicated on a certain self-serving nature. Even if we do something good for somebody else, it's usually because we want to feel better. Even if we do, I mean, there, it's, it's very rare at least that we consciously engage the world from a place of non-attachment. Or put another, perhaps more creative way, we engage the world from a place of non-engaged experience. Okay? Now, if this puts your mind into kind of a tailspin, huh? You know, type thing, excellent. It's working then. Because essentially where we're going with this is we're trying to face our fear with every bit of our being. Now, let's unpack fear just a little bit to begin with. Anxiety tends to be kind of a general malaise, kind of a general uh, unsettled feeling, okay? If you can just think of like the last time there was a certain anxiety, it wasn't specific, most likely. It was probably something that was very generalized, a general feeling. If we focus that general feeling of anxiety and give it an object, then it can become fear. So fear is birthed at the moment there is some object of awareness that we can attribute an intensified or focused sense of anxiety. Does that kind of make sense? So focused anxiety onto something is fear. Anxiety itself is just kind of general. And it always relates to something in the future that has not happened yet. All fear comes from the non-now, the non-present. It's all in the future, okay? So fear cannot exist. It cannot exist unless ego is focused on an object in the future. When we face that sense of fear or kind of fear light, which is anxiety. If we can face that with our full attention, what happens then is we can actually start to get to its roots and cut it off right there. We become very, very uh, skilled at this over time. As we practice uh, stillness, when we're in a stillness practice, and we just, sometimes you may, you may experience this, usually, unfortunately for, for most of us, it's uh, not till, you know, minute 29 of 30 or something like that, where there's kind of this, ah, and then the bell rings, you know, thanks teach, you know, right, right when things are kind of starting to uh, really kind of settle, okay? But when things are really settled, when the thoughts aren't jamming us, instead we're just kind of resting as a full expression of ourselves in the moment. This stillness actually is not leaning into the future. It's actually just the present moment. The awareness of this in us is the awakened mind. Okay? 
So think of this and then stop thinking about it, but just see if you can recognize that the awareness of any thinking is the same thing as the awareness of non-thinking. The awareness of anxiety is the same thing as the awareness of non-anxiety. That awareness in and of itself is never anxious. Take it a step further. When you have fear, the minute you are in the stillness practice, you start cultivating the stillness and you are really present and there's kind of this opening, this relaxed opening. It's aware of the object of fear. It's aware of the feeling of fear as opposed to being caught by the fear, as opposed to being caught by the anxiety. So in this awareness, we find our freedom. The awareness you have of my voice right now, the awareness you have of my voice right now is exactly the same awareness you might have of fear. And so when you can rest there in the awareness as opposed to the fear, big things start to happen. We become free. It is this, by the way, guys, this is the shortcut. This is the shortcut. Just uncovering an ever deepening awareness of all things that are going on. The awareness of all things that are going on is miraculously free of whatever might arise. It's free of it because it's, a, it, it's aware of it, but because it's aware of it means it's by definition not caught by it. So there's a difference be between being, for instance, aware of fear and being fearful. One is, I am afraid. The other one is, I'm aware of fear. Massive difference, spiritually. Massive. One is, one is caught, I am afraid. There's an awareness of fear is free of the fear. It's just aware of it. Now, I know I, I, I yammer on about this constantly, but it's so mystically relevant to this whole process. Beginning to look so carefully at our experience of fear, for instance, we look so carefully at fear that we begin to unpack it and realize that, wait, the ego created this. If the ego created it, that which is infinitely bigger than ego is never going to be affected by it. In meditation, we rest as that which is infinitely bigger than ego. That which is aware of ego, not ego itself. When we do this, we actually are becoming more of who we truly are. 
one of my all-time favorites, Carl Jung, says that uh, the most terrifying thing is to accept oneself completely. The most terrifying thing is to accept oneself completely. Think about that verb, accept. If we accept ourselves completely, we could translate that roughly into we release our experience completely. It doesn't mean we don't participate in it. It means that we are no longer grabbed by it. We no longer grab after things. We neither grab towards something that we think is going to bring us salvation, nor do we push stuff away that we think is going to inhibit our salvation. We just participate. So, perhaps one of the more useful things we can we can do. I'm going to give your 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 mind a little bit of food here, so it can attach to some stuff. As long as you promise to let go, minds. Okay, all you minds out there, please promise to let go. But it goes something like this. In in Buddhism, we say there are three marks of existence. Three marks of existence. One is that there is suffering. Okay, as if we exist and we think we are here, that there is an I, that there is a me, that there is a mine, that there is an ego, and I use ego and mind interchangeably, they both work, okay? There's going to be suffering, all right? There will be suffering as long as there is something that feels a disconnect from all things, okay? That disconnect, the thing that feels it like I'm in here and everything else is out there, it's perpetually going to be at war. It's always threatened. And like I always picture a turret, you know, just keeps aiming the gun, <laughs> lock and load, nine o'clock, you know, whatever. I mean, it's just always we're just always kind of swiveling, right? That's ego. Its ability to move is diminished substantially. It's it's I sometimes refer to it as kind of like an etch a sketch. Okay, it can go this way and this way only, you know, or if it's like in the turret, it's limited, right? Because it's boxed in, it's caged, it's bunkered, all right? After uh, suffering, the one thing we want to recognize is impermanence. That everything but everything but everything but everything will die eventually. Everything is temporary. Everything is temporary. Anything that can be conceived, anything that can be envisioned, anything that can be held, anything that can be kissed, anything that can be slapped, <laughs> it's all temporary. It's all temporary. So we feel threatened and there's suffering associated with that threat. We start, recognize, we start recognizing that everything is temporary. We can't hold on to anything which actually contributes to our suffering. And then lastly, that when we start looking closely enough at our experience, we recognize that there is no self at all. If I were to ask you guys right now, okay, what is the self? 
you could come up with a series of really cool things, I'd imagine. Okay? You are your names. You are your bodies. You are your thoughts and opinions. You are your convictions. By golly, don't want to forget that one. Talk about attachment. Okay? Or convictions. You are a series of relationships, right? The self is a series of relationships. But what do we know about relationships? Relationships are things, right? And things are all temporary, right? So every single component piece of you is temporary. It's in flux. You are a series of massive fluctuations all the time. There's nothing about you or me that is fixed. And this realization, because you can probably conceive of it right now. You can go, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But to actually walk and inhabit a being okay, that recognizes its lack of substantiality, for you to walk with those kinds of feet down the street, driving in the car, knowing that there really is no fixed self, that becomes a huge leap into the mystery. That begins to undo that in us which is threatened and suffers because of the temporary nature of everything. Fear in that capacity starts to just diminish. We start recognizing well, okay, yeah, I am this body, and I am this name, and I am this belief structure, and I am all of my attachments, and all of my releasing of attachment. I'm all of that stuff. But none of that is the whole story. And this can get really scary, because what we're talking about is uh, accepting ourself completely at this moment when this happens. And in the acceptance of ourselves completely, when that really starts to happen, we awaken. We awaken to that which is precisely beyond ego, which is on the outside of this turret that doesn't feel like it has to defend anything. It can still participate, and better, participate in the world. Okay. It can still be with our kids and grandkids. It can be with our parents and grandparents. It can function in the world, but it functions freely. Because its orientation, rather than being separate, rather than being about me and mine, rather than continually looking at the world uh, as it like it's coming from a position of lack, like it's a hungry ghost, it meets the world and accepts it totally and then responds with a fullness of purpose, of kindness, care, compassion, where the through line of experience, instead of you know, an ebb and flow of happiness, is grace, ease, and joy. That there is something that carries us that's just massive, that it doesn't diminish. Precisely because it's not a thing. It's that which is aware of things.
fear cannot exist in that realm. It can't. Because fear can only exist where there's a grip. And that which is aware of the gripping is beyond the fear. That which is beyond the gripping is beyond the self. That which is beyond the self is acceptance. It's the most terrifying thing of all is to rest in that acceptance. And it's what we do every single time, hopefully, that our butt hits the cushion. Every single time that our butt hits the cushion, that we sit in a chair and we meet stillness, what are we really meeting? Total acceptance. And we rest there. And the more we rest there, the weaker the bunker becomes. The more we rest there, the more the light of our consciousness begins to illuminate the darkness. And without darkness, there isn't fear. We walk fearlessly. We no longer hunger in the same way. There's a completion to our being that's a quiet, humble, felt sense of joy and grace that allows us to participate, that encourages us to engage, even though we know we're just a bag of bones it's going to go away just like everything else. While that may sound morbid, it's the most beautifully helpful um, gift. That knowledge, working with that knowledge allows every single day, every single hour, every single moment to be icing on this cake or sometimes I like to refer to it like the last chocolate chip cookie my mom had. Whenever I could get that last, man, that one tasted really good. Because it was a reminder of how temporary her love in the form of chocolate chip cookies was. So here's to that last cookie. If you don't mind, I'd like to take two minutes so I can run get a drink of water. That's okay. Um, it's encouraged. I'm encouraging you guys to talk to each other. Okay? I'm encouraging you guys to talk to each other so when we come back, we can have a quick Q&A. Alright? If you don't want to talk to anybody, that's fine too. Okay? Excuse. <laughs> if you can see your fear, man, you're, you're three quarters of the way there. But being able to see it means you have to like you have to really kind of listen, watch. You know, you have to. I know you're just kidding there, probably. But well, no, but I, but I, I agree. I mean, I think in seeing, um, 
it's the awareness is the word you use, but I think it's when you do that, you separate yourself mm-hmm. um, so that it doesn't hold you as much. I think we may have even talked about that. Yeah, I'm sure. Dune, Benny Gesserit. Liturgy, you know, that fear is the mind killer. Fear is a mind killer, yeah. And they say that if you walk down the road and fear is there and then you keep on walking through, when you turn and look back, it will be gone. Right. And I, that's something that I... Yeah, and I love, I've always loved that line. Herbert says, you know, fear is the mind killer. I forget where in Dune that was written, but I remember that. Uh, the, the, the problem is, um, in relationship to this practice... Mind is the awaken, awakening killer, right? So right. Well, I fear. Would take it a little bit further and say it's the awakened mind that that fear would be the killer of. There you go. Looking at it from this practice's perspective, because I really, I do think that the way they talk about it in that book, it's very similar that you are able to come back or right. s- somehow have a separation which is the aware mind looking at fear you know aware being aware okay then you can let me push back a little bit though mm-hmm. the awakened mind is not separate from fear it's totally inclusive of fear the reason why fear exists is because it feels that it's not inclusive it's separate right so while I'm with you, okay, that fear is the mind killer, fear is the awakened mind killer, as long as there is mind in the way that we're discussing it here, mind acts as a filter, okay? It filters the great infinity, the chaos. It filters it so that there can be stability. And it's that stability that we're really trying to see through we're trying to see that that stability it's an ego creation. It is exactly that. It is exactly that. Stability is an illusion right. that ego creates to fend off the the infinite. It's the bunker. Yeah. So so let the mind let the mind go. <laughs> Watch the mind. That which is watching the mind is not mind. That which is watching the mind is is our awakening. Okay? Then what we do is we bring that back in. Okay? We come back we we it's like <laughs> I sometimes look at it like, you know, we we catch the ball and then we come back. We've made the play. Except that's a horrible metaphor because it implies that the ball is actually sep- forget I even said that. I'll just start over. <laughs> It's as if we climb the mountain, we catch the view, and we bring the glory of that view back down the mountain with us, and it never leaves us. It never leaves us. It's, and, but it's not something we can cling to, because it happened. It was just an experience. But it shifts us. Similarly, when... Um, I wouldn't know this personally, because I myself have never given birth... But I hear from from mothers that I that I love and respect that after you have this child, a child, two children, three, four, whatever it is, your life is never the same. 
it's never the same. Similarly with awakening, when we nourish it, really nourish it, not just we have an experience, boom, we have a satori, boom, we have a, you know awakening experience, and oh yeah, okay, I got it, woo, I'm a Buddha, and then you're off, and you never sit again, you never meditate again, you never read another book again. We miss it, because we thought the experience was the awakening as opposed to what the experience was pointing toward. When you, you just have to make yourself aware of the fact of what that feeling is. Mm -hmm. And then... Not only of the feeling, but of the feeling's direction. Become a connoisseur, as Ram Dass says. Become a connoisseur of your neuroses. What do you mean the feeling's direction? Where is the feeling going? Whereas the feeling, in other words, all feelings, all emotions that we might have, including fear, mm -hmm. are where the mind meets our physical experience, meets our body. Boom. We have an emotion. Okay? Mm -hmm. All emotion is related in some capacity to a varying degree of, of clinging. Okay? Except love. Love is not about clinging. Love is totally open. Okay? Awakened love. Awakened love is totally open. Now, if it's not totally awake, in other words, if it's not opening, okay, if it's a clinging type of love, that's not love. That's an egoic negotiation masquerading as love. Okay? I don't know if that helps. I'm not really clear on well, which, still, what the question let's was. Still, let's still just talk about where the fear is going somewhere. Yeah, fear comes from a place. It's born based on an attachment. Mm -hmm. We study the attachment, we undercut the fear. We recognize what it is. Mm -hmm. Okay, that in us which is witnessing the fear actually is disidentified from the fear. Mm -hmm. It's not identified with it. Therefore, the fear's intensity diminishes automatically in that moment. Automatically. We recognize it, we participate with our acceptance, and don't move. Stay with it. And poof. Uh, maybe. <laughs> it might be that, it might make that noise, poof. All sorts of other noises it might make, <laughs> but yeah. I saw a couple other near bows. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> well, I'm thinking. Wait, you bow. You better bow oh, fully. Oh, right. You better. But there you go. That's the. You stand <laughs> in your light. It's just a little. <laughs> um, I would like to ask you to clarify a few terms that you used. Yeah. Just a minute ago, you said to recognize fear, stay with it. Mm -hmm. And I think earlier you said accept mm -hmm. and then there's something in my background that, that, that having to do with equating acceptance with resignation surrender or submission so I have to ask you I want to ask you if you would clarify that absolutely so I want to what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to clarify uh, can I go backwards 
first, first let me go backwards because the most important thing I think you said there is that the very common uh, uh, misinterpretation of surrender or the misinterpretation of acceptance, that acceptance means to give in. It means to lie down. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about fully meeting that which is there. And acceptance does not mean give in. Giving in is totally egoic. It's absolutely 100% egoic move. It's just the, it's the, same, it's the same disease as aggression. But it just moves the other way. Right? Inward. Yeah? Okay? And so this type of acceptance that I'm talking about is not about giving in. Okay? It's in fact, wham! And it's being clear. Totally clear about what's going on. From that place of total clarity, we then have a whole slew of choices that we can make that will either accentuate that clarity or obfuscate it. Okay? And the more we can accentuate the clarity, the more our, the light of our awareness is shining at what could potentially be very dark. Okay? So you meet it, you meet that life. Sometimes the most, the most compassionate, wonderful thing you could say is no goddamn way. Okay? All right? The whole goddamn thing you probably don't want to say because it'll show people that you probably have an attachment, which you would if you said that, but still, it's just no. Shock them too. Yeah, it would shock them too. And that might be a very compassionate thing. Skillfulness plays in here. Okay? I use the extreme because I think the example is really important. For those people, especially that kind of hide back, it's very important for them in this work to step forward. And for those people who are always stepping forward, take a little step back, maybe. Yeah? That creates a balance. The other point of clarification that you wanted to make, I think may have related to this. Help me, help me with. We had acceptance. Well, I think you actually, well, I, I, the other two words I meant, I mentioned were submission or. Did, did I kind of cover it? All right. Clarity, Barb. <laughs> do we, have, we do have time for one more if somebody had another one. Yes, sir. So, if you're in a situation where there are a lot of people who are fearful, it's harder because fear feeds on itself. You're and, so right. And it's very difficult to stay grounded in your awareness because your ego hooks the fear and gets hooked by other people's fear. Do you have any suggestions along that? So, do I have any suggestions as to how not to get hooked by how other people's fear? Other, and, and also how to help unhook them. I, I think that's actually more difficult. Yeah. Because how to unhook others? I can stay yeah. unhooked. I'm in a currently very fearful situation. <laughs> yeah. But, so people around me are all hooked. Right. Really hooked. Right. And it, it comes out in a number of different ways, but behind it, you can feel the fear. Sure. So, but if I, I watch myself, and sometimes I can stay there and say, well, is that really true? kind of mirror back, is that really true? Is that really true? I, I'm not sure that's the way it's going to work out. But at some point, I get hooked. 
Right. Uh, and how, do you have any suggestions? Yeah, I, I would say, first of all, it sounds like you're doing exactly the right thing. Okay? Your instincts are right. In other words, the most contagious thing is not like SARS or bird flu or, you know, picket, you know, West Nile, whatever. The most contagious thing is unconsciousness. That's the most contagious thing. Because ego is at home in unconsciousness. Basically, unconsciousness is a rip-roaring concert for ego. Okay? Fear. If there's a collection of people that are very afraid, ego is like, hot damn. You know? Breaks out the lighter. Starts, you know, woo! Okay? That's exactly the invitation that I'm talking about. You watch. You watch your own personal tendency. Your own personal tendency. You, you, can, you can feel it. You can feel the contraction kind of start to happen. That awareness of that contraction, the awareness of that contraction, is your awakened mind. That is Buddha mind. Okay? Stay there. Don't get caught by it. Don't move. Be intimate with everybody else's fear. And what happens is, you then have a whole slew of choices. Mm -hmm. The choices magnify, they, they, they multiply. You have myriad choices when there is deep clarity. Okay? Unconsciousness, a great way of articulating unconsciousness is to say lack of clarity. Mm -hmm. So when people lack clarity, they are, they are no longer in the present moment. They are actually dealing only with stuff that has not happened yet. And as a result, they're blind. They're bumping into things, okay? But because everybody else is blind does not mean you have to close your eyes. Okay? Keep them open. And what happens is you become actually the answer to yours, your prayer and theirs. You, you are able at least to kind of channel that opening that actually offers most likely the solution, which is present moment awareness actually undoes the object of attachment in the future that becomes fear. Potentially. Whatever that reality that everybody's fearing, it, maybe, that'll, maybe it'll come true. Especially if everybody's totally focused on it not happening. It oftentimes can happen just because the universe loves messing with us. It's a way to keep us from attaching. But as long as the, the radiant, clear light of your consciousness in that moment, on their lack of awareness, and your tendency to get sucked in by that, as long as that's there, as long as that's shining, and you're paying total attention to it, chances are there's peace even in the midst of all of that storm. You're in the eye of the hurricane in that moment. And that's the type of person that changes the world. Have a wonderful week. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs>